Now, last week we finished up our study, the book of James, and today, kind of being a, a Sunday in between, so to speak, next Sunday is the first Sunday of December. We're going to do a, a few weeks of Advent-related messages to lead us up to Christmas, and we just finished a study of the book of James, but today, uh, in light of Thanksgiving, we're in the book of Colossians chapter 3. As you're finding your place there in Colossians 3, I want to kind of set this up because we're going to look and focus on just six verses at, at the middle of this chapter, but I'm going to read a bigger portion to give you some context. And in, and in preparation for that, uh, I want to tell you this story, this illustration that kind of gets us hopefully in the right frame of mind. Back in 1999, there was this movie that came out. It was real dramatic. It was meant to be kind of a suspenseful, almost a thriller type of movie. It was called The Sixth Sense. I don't know if you remember that. It's been a little while. Uh, Bruce Willis was in it, uh, and a, a little boy actor. Um, it, it featured this young, young boy. His name in the movie was Cole Sear, and he had this special gift now, if you're not familiar with the movie, let me try to just summarize it real quickly. This little boy could see things that other people couldn't see. And at one point in the film, this doctor who was played by Bruce Willis, his name was Malcolm Crow, and he's having this conversation with this young boy named Cole about his condition. Okay? And here's how the conversation went. The little boy said to the doctor... I see dead people. The doctor says, in your dreams? He shakes his head, no. While you're awake? He shakes his head, yes. And the doctor says, dead people like in graves, in coffins? And the little boy says, no, walking around like regular people. They don't see each other. They only see what they want to see, and they don't know they're dead. And the doctor says, how often do you see them? And the little boy says, all the time. They're everywhere. Now, in light of that conversation, I want you to see what Paul is saying to the church because it's, it's, it's odd, it's almost ironic that something that you'd see in a movie applies so clearly to what God's trying to teach us. That little boy said he sees dead people everywhere and they don't know they're dead. How appropriate is that with a, the sinful state of human beings dead in sin and transgressions. And, and how many people in our world, they don't know they're dead. They're everywhere. They're walking around. They only see what they want to see, he says. They don't know they're dead. So Paul wrote this letter to a church almost 2,000 years ago, and the, the purpose of the letter as a whole was to try to fend off false teachers. That's what the church was dealing with. Folks trying to, to teach things that were not in accordance with the gospel. And 
I believe if, if Paul was with us today, he could probably observe people in this room and in churches all across the country. And he might say something like this. I see dead people walking around like regular people. They only see what they want to see. They don't know they're dead. That, that, that's a scary thought. People in, in our society. We talked about as we prayed earlier, people need Jesus. But you're not going to recognize your need for Jesus if you don't know you have an issue or a problem. If you don't know you're dead. So what I want to do today is as we prepare to focus just on the, the last little portion of this first bigger paragraph we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 in a closer but in the time we have i want to read verses 1 through 17 just to lead up to that just going to read that little portion and then we'll talk about what paul tells us today ultimately about thankfulness how can we be thankful colossians chapter 3 i'm going to start reading in verse 1 God speaks through Paul and he writes, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, Malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him in which there is no Greek and Jew or uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a, part of, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Heavenly Father, I pray 
in Christ's name today, please speak to us. Make your word clear. Give us understanding. Strengthen us to obey. We pray all this for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me just summarize what is happening here in this bigger picture. And this is, hopefully we're going to see when we focus in on these few little verses, we're going to see why we need to read context and read before and after and, and to see what the Bible is telling us because verses 1 through 4 and then verses 5 through 11 have a lot to say that help us understand verses 12 through 17 because you look at the first four verses, Paul is basically telling the church, seek the things above. That's the summary of that first little paragraph. Seek the things above. He's talking about... Uh, what the closing part of chapter 2 said, he's talking about you've been raised up with Christ, so you need to keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above. So he's, he's pointing out to the church, you've died. Remember? I see dead people, but they don't know they're dead. He's reminding us, you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ. So seek the things where Christ is. We need to focus our mind, our hearts, our whole being on Jesus and the things of Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, if, we're gonna, if, if we belong to Him, indeed belong to Him, then we need to seek Him, right? That makes perfect sense. If we belong to Jesus, we need to follow Jesus. And that's what Paul's trying to emphasize here from the very beginning in these first four verses. Seek the things above. But when he gets to verse 5, he's going to give us a little contrast, preparing us for where he's going. Because he says, remember, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. Therefore, you need to get rid of some stuff. Because some stuff that you got going on or had going on doesn't match up with being hidden with Christ. Does that make sense? If, if, we're, if we're united with Jesus, then we're supposed to start looking more like Jesus. Which means if we look more like Jesus, we got to look less like who we used to look like. Does that make sense? You follow me here? we got to put off some things. You know, Jesus loves us exactly how we are. And... Thank God He does. But He loves us too much for us to stay like we are. He, he loves us where we are, but He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow and change and become more like Jesus, transform to be more like Jesus. And the good thing is, He does the work in us. We just Our part is agreement. He doesn't, he doesn't come to us and say, all right, uh, I, I love you, I'm saving you. Oh, man, look at that. I almost broke that. He doesn't come to us and say, good luck with becoming more like me. It's really difficult, so try hard. That's not what happens. When Jesus saves you, he gives you what you need to become like Him. And He works on you, in you, through you, by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus doesn't expect us to do the work all on our own because He knows we can't. So He's changing us. So putting off these sins of the past is what Paul is talking about. 
11. He's giving us examples. These are the things that you need to get rid of, and this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do in you, but you need to cooperate. You need to... When, when, when we all come to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit then comes to us and works in us and says to us, maybe not verbally, but says to us, I'm trying to get rid of this. I'm trying to get rid of this. And, and whatever this is, you know, because you know as well as I do, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you something or draws your attention to something in your life that is not Christ-like, you can ignore it, but it's not like you didn't hear Him say something. You, you heard Him talk. You heard him point it out. You, you sensed it in your mind and your heart. Whenever you belong to Jesus and you go to do something that would not honor Jesus, if you're even paying attention the least little bit, you're going to recognize the Holy Spirit saying to you, no, that's, that's not right. That's not what Jesus wants you to do. And you can either heed that word and and listen to the holy spirit and therefore cooperate with the holy spirit's work in your life or you can just try to block it out and just say no 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 just leave me alone let me sin like i want to but that's not going to make you more like jesus right it's going to continue to sustain that wall that's blocked off between you and jesus and is hindering your growth as a Christian. So Paul says from verse 5 all the way down to verse 11, he says, you need to consider your, your earthly body as dead to these things. And he lists a bunch of things, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. And then he says, here's why you need to get rid of those things. Verse 6, the wrath of God's coming for those things. So get rid of those things. And he says, you once walked when you were living in them. Verse 7 is a clear picture of the difference between the old life and the new life in Christ. You used to do those things. So those things are not fitting for you anymore. And then in verse 8 he even says, put them all aside. And he lists some more. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Then in verse 9, don't lie to each other. Why not, Paul? Because you laid aside the old self. You see, in many ways, this illustration, when Jesus saves you, you got to change clothes. you got to put off some things, and then you get a new wardrobe, and you put, some, put on some new things. And the new things are going to help you look more like Jesus. The old things you were wearing and acting and living in make you look more like the world, which is the devil, Right? So we need to put on, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to put on our new clothes. Put on new things, new practices, new attitudes, new beliefs, everything. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And what's it say right after that? Old things have passed away. All things have become new, right? What does all mean? It's a Greek word. It means all. See, there you know. You know Greek language now. All means all, and that's all all means. There's no exclusion. 
All things have become new. So if we follow Jesus, we are a new creation. So Paul has, just to summarize, Paul has said in the first four verses and then in the next uh, 5 through 11, the next 6, he says you need to seek the things above where Christ is because that's who you are. And then he says you need to put away these sins of the past because they are past. If you're in Christ, they're past. Jesus dealt with those, so put them away. Then we get to this passage here, verses 12 through 17. Now, before I, before I say too much more about that, I want to give you another, another illustration, and it's another movie. So, And this goes back a little bit further. 1994, there was this movie called Shawshank Redemption. Now, this was a very interesting movie. The story is told of a man named Andy Dufresne. He was wrongly convicted of a crime and he was sent to prison. And after almost 10 years, he has eventually devised a plan to escape. Remember that little scene? He, if you've seen the movie, he's, he's sitting out in the yard up against a wall talking with his buddy that he made in there and he says, you got to either get busy living or get busy dying. That's an interesting advice. Basically, the plan that he put into action involved, during a thunderstorm, he had to crawl through over a thousand feet of sewer pipe to reach the outside of the prison boundary. Now, when he came out of there... You can imagine he was filthy. Probably stank. But here's the thing. By the time his plot was discovered by the prison system, he had shed those sewage-stained clothes. They found the clothes laying in the riverbed, and he took a shower, put on a nice suit and tie, and you know what? When he walked into the bank to finish his plan and get his money and his new identity, guess what? He was not even recognizable because he had shed all the old and put on a brand new. Didn't even look like the same person. And in many ways, that's what the Christian is called to do. Get rid of that old... It's, it's you know, it's... When you think about sin, what better illustration could you have than a sewer pipe? That's what sin is. It's a smelly, nasty sewer pipe. It makes us dirty and, and gross. That's what sin is. That's what sin does to a person. So he doesn't even look like the same man anymore. Because you know what? He's not the same man anymore. So what we do when we get to verse 12, we put on the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us in no, in no uncertain terms, who are you in Jesus? Who are you? Why should we even be thankful? Do we have anything to thank God for today? I hope so. I hope, and, I, and I know we do. I'm saying I hope we realize it. I hope we understand 
why we should be thankful to God. Look at verse 12. What What does Paul say right off? You are chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's who you are in Christ. If you, if you are a Christian today, then God has saved you, chosen you. You are loved by Him. He is making you holy. That's what it says in verse 12. Now, what do we do because of that? Because Jesus has saved us, look what He says. Put on a heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know what that reminds me of? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Fruit of the Spirit. Is that ringing any bells? Look at all those words. That's half of the fruit of the Spirit right there. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And how do we act as Christians if we've put those things on? If Jesus has saved us and we've shed all that sewer-stained nastiness of sin and we're trying to live for Jesus now, we put on our new clothes. And what does that look like in verse 13? Well, it looks like we're bearing with each other. You ever said that to somebody before? Now, just bear with me. Bear with one another. And what else? Forgiving one another. Now, why do we forgive each other? Has anyone been forgiven for anything? Now, I'm not talking about just by Jesus. Just in general, has anybody ever had to forgive you for something? Did you deserve it? No? Well, if Jesus takes that to the ultimate level of forgiveness, where our sin causes us death and hell and wrath of God, and Jesus dealt with all that, Did we deserve that? Did we deserve the blood of Christ to be shed for us? Of course not. So if that's been done, if I'm claiming Jesus as my own, and he has claimed me as his own, and I know for a fact that Jesus dealt with my whole life and heart of sin, Am I really in a position not to forgive someone else? If I'm thinking about constantly how much Jesus had to deal with for me, just me, not all of y'all, just me. If all of that is in my mind and somebody does me wrong, in my opinion, if I think somebody has done me wrong, Is it really logical for me to not forgive someone else knowing how much Jesus had to do for me? That seems a little hypocritical, doesn't it? Jesus didn't have to forgive me, but he did. He calls me to do the same thing. And Paul even says that. Look at verse 13. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And what is most important that governs all these things. Verse 14 says, put on love. Beyond all these things, put on love. This is the capstone of the Christian wardrobe right here. And it's a very particular word, agape. You know what that means? Agape love. That is caring, selfless, unconditional. Doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to love you. 
That's why he says the perfect bond of unity is love. That's what Christians ought to look like. And don't you remember, we just studied this. We mentioned it when we were at the end of the book of James. Because John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 35, don't you remember? How will the world know we belong to Jesus? By our love for one another. Not by our Bible knowledge, as helpful as that is. Not by our theological doctrine, as important as that is. People will know that we belong to Jesus if we love. If we love like Jesus, then it will be, the Bible says, in, not in these words, but it will be undeniable who we belong to. By this, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's, it doesn't get any more clear than that. The perfect bond of unity. So all these other things that Paul says, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, all those things are governed and held together by love. And see, all this is building up to say, why again should we be thankful to Jesus? Because of all that. Who do you... <laughs> Did you just wake up one morning being kind and compassionate and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving? I'm going to say no. I'm going to guess no. How do you think all those things get into us? It's by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus puts that in us. He, we're, we're not like that. And I'm going to just say we because I know I'm not. And I'm going to guess none of you are, naturally, except for by the grace of God. That's, Jesus makes us like that. We're not like that. We're sinful. We're under the curse of sin, except for the grace of God. So Jesus works all that. That's why we need to be thankful. That's why, and look at these last two, well, next to the last two verses, that really show us how this works together. Look at 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You were called in one body. Look, at it. He, says it, he says it three times in the last three verses. Verse 15, 16, and 17, all three of them say, be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. It says it three times. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does that mean? That means... In any time there's a, a, a decision or a confusion in your heart and mind and you're not sure what you should do, let the peace of Christ work that out. The peace of Christ is ruling your attitudes, judging between your options, what you should do, what you should say, how you should act, how you should treat someone. The peace of Christ rules in your heart. But if that were not enough, look at verse let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The word of Christ. So now we have the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. The peace is, is ruling. The word is dwelling within us. And those words are so particular. Paul, you, Paul is always really good about using specific words. The Holy Spirit said, use this. This is going to say exactly what I want to say. And so when it says... Let the peace of Christ rule 
in your hearts. That's what they call a present imperative. Well, an imperative is a command, and present means let it keep on happening. So read that to understand when it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Understand that to mean the peace of Christ should continually keep on ruling in your heart. It's an ongoing command. The peace of Christ. And be thankful. That's another present imperative, which basically means keep on being thankful. Don't just do it once, check the box, and say, all right, I'm done being thankful. I did that. No, no, no. Continue. The peace of Christ continues to rule. I'm continually supposed to be thankful, continually being thankful. Verse 16, the word of Christ richly dwells within you. In other words, continue. It it literally means to make one's home. So I want the word of Jesus to be at home in my heart. And I don't want to just do that one time. I want the Word of God to continually be at home in me. That's the whole point of this command. Continue, and how's it, how's it going to happen? How's the peace of Christ going to continue to rule in my heart? How's the Word of Christ going to continue to dwell within me? I've I got to stay in it. I, I can't read the Bible today and then set it down and come back to it next Sunday. I I can't read the Bible and check my box and say, all right, I've done that task. I'm going to lay it aside till whenever, whenever I get to it again. No, no. no. If it's going to be at home in my heart, then I've got to be consistent continually in it. Does that make sense? I've got to stay in it. I've got to stay in it. And then he says, how's the word of Christ going to richly dwell? With wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. So now you see the corporate facet of this. We're supposed to help each other, one another. We're admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with, here's the word again, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness. And so... It it paints a picture, Paul paints a picture with these words to show us this is what the Christian looks like. All these qualities, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, love, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Singing with thankfulness to God. That's what the Christian looks like. That's what putting on the new clothes looks like. And that's what we're supposed to do. And, and what's so interesting about this, this is why, folks, this is, I've, I've been asked before, not just, not just here, but I've been asked for 15 years, why do you, you teach the Bible like that? Why do you preach like that? And what, that, what the question means is, why would I ever, like we did through James, why would I start and just preach through a whole book of the Bible? Well, this is a prime example. We can't understand verses 12 through 17, how we're supposed to understand it, unless we just saw what verses 1 through 11 said. It's called context. 
If you don't read 1 through 11, you're not going to fully understand 12 to 17. You've got to know where he's coming from because verses 12 through 17 are based on verses 1 through 4, but they're a direct contrast to verses 5 through 11. So you see the whole big picture. This is why the Bible is written the way it is. This is why we teach it the way I, I do. Is because, And, I, and I'm, I'm convicted that this is how it should be done, only not because I think that's the best way, but because I think it's the best way. Does that make sense? Um, and, and here's why. When you see something in its full context, you get the whole story, the big picture, not just I'm going to grab this verse and I'm going to sit over here by itself. It's completely separated from everything that was written around it, and I'm going to just talk about that. Well, you know what? That opens up to just where I might just throw some of my opinions out there. And, and I've told you this before. You don't need my opinions. Probably don't want my opinions. But you certainly don't need them. You don't need to know what I say. You need to know what God says. Only what God says is going to do you any good. So, context. How does all this conclude? Look at verse 17. This is, this is a conclusion statement, a summary statement to this whole teaching that Paul says, whatever you do, this covers the sum of the Christian life. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that the Christian can do or say that does not fall under this right here. Whatever you do, whatever you do, what do you do? Do it all in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you go, who you're with, what you're doing. Whatever you do, as a Christian, dressed, figuratively dressed as a Christian with those qualities, here's what you do. You do everything in the name of Jesus, which means... You do everything as a representative of Jesus. And so, how does that look exactly? Well, it starts and ends by giving thanks. Giving thanks through Him, through Christ, to God the Father. So, to sum all this up, when we look at our lives and we try to develop a plan of action. I'm trying to come up with a purpose. There's, and we've, we've said this as a church. There's lots of things we could do. But as an individual Christian, there's one primary thing that we should do. We need to change clothes. We need to put off the sins and the practices of the past, we need to put on the grace and the characteristics of Christ. Because if we're going to claim His name, then we need to be living His way. You can't, you can't grab the title and just forget about the action that goes with it. If you're going to claim His name, then... You've got to live his life and thank him for giving you the privilege. Let's pray.